Hello and welcome to the first episode of the Football Brains podcast, where I, your host, Nick Pasquet, talk to various football brains from all the corners of the game to provide a depth of insight and new understanding of the sport we all know and love. Today, I am delighted and extremely grateful to be joined by freelance throwing coach Thomas Gronemark, who works for current Champions League and Club World Cup holders Liverpool FC, as well as Ajax, RB Leipzig, Atlanta United, FC Michelin and Ghent. He also held the world record for the longest football throw between 2010 and 2019 of 51.33 metres. Thanks very much for joining me today, Thomas. You are absolutely welcome. Uh, first of all, I know you have a very diverse and successful history participating in sport yourself. Um, could you provide some background on this for us and how all of those experiences resulted in you becoming a throwing coach? Yeah, first of all, uh... I can say that I've been playing football myself for approximately 15 years. Uh, reached the highest uh, youth league in Denmark, U19. Also played against really good football players like Thomas Gravesen, who later played for Celtic and Real Madrid. So, But I wasn't good enough to be a pro football player. I was really good at throw-ins because I've been seeing my older cousins, Ben and Johnny, doing that in, in the mid-80s. Uh, I was also really fast. So after my in my... Around yeah, 19 years or so, I I changed sport to athletics because uh, yeah, I was really fast, but I didn't really know if I was fast enough to be good in athletics. But already the first year I was training um, the 100, 200, 400 meters relay, I came on the Danish national team, and uh, yeah, I was on the Danish national team for six years. I was several time a Danish champion, and also the best result was was in 2000, together with my teammates from Aarhus Nittenhunner, we won the European Championship in 4 by 400 meter relay in Paris. So I, I ran the last leg, so pretty successful years. And uh, and in 2002, uh, I decided to change sport, not because I was was on a low level in athletics, because I actually set personal records on 1 and 200 meters. But I just needed some more impulses and motivation because I missed the team sport. So um, I decided to change to the Danish national team in bobsleighing. Uh, and I was on the Danish national team uh, for four years. We were traveling all around the world, Europe, Canada, the States, and fantastic four years with a lot of teamwork, a lot of uh, innovation, doing a lot of different stuff. And uh, I think that's, that all that put together was the reason why in 2004 I thought, hey, if I can make a good throw in myself, can't I teach other players to do it? So um, I went down to my local library in here in Denmark, where I'm living, um, and, and tried to find that, find that book about throw-ins. But there were no books at all, so I had to do my own throwing course. Used approximately six months on that. And um, yeah, I could have been started with a, starting with a amateur team, a youth team in the fall 2004, but I had the courage to contact a local Super League team in Denmark, that's the best league, it's called Vibor, and uh, they said yes, and they scored a lot of goals after throwing situations and improved the throw-ins a lot, so, and the first three, four years, it was only the long throw-in uh, I was concentrating on, but 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 then one day I, I saw that we had a throw-in in the middle of the pitch, and uh, we lost the ball, and then the next one, and the next one again. And I thought it was only youth and amateur players who were that bad. So, since 2008, I've been working with my philosophy called the long, the fast, and the clever 
throw-in. So that's what I'm helping the clubs with at the moment all over the world. So, um, yeah, I love my job. Well, it's, it's certainly clear that you've had a, a great range of experiences there across multiple sports, and you've probably been able to pick up different information and techniques along the way. And you mentioned how you, you went into your first role with uh, coaching throw-ins there. Was it, did you find it difficult to persuade traditional coaches to back your new ideas because this is something that you'd created? No, I thought uh, not in the start, especially not with with the long throw in because the first guy coach manager I had in from Vibor, the head coach there, Uwe Christensen, he was already a guy who was really relying on set pieces, but he was all, also pretty innovative himself. The season after the 5-6 season, I came to FC Mitula and they were also like really looking at set pieces. So it, it's been no challenge with the long throw-ins, at least not in a lot of Danish clubs. Um, but my biggest challenge was that, yeah, as I said, I started with, with working on my long, fast and clever throw-in philosophy. And that's the, all the throw-ins all over the pitch, both attacking and defending. And I really want to give that knowledge to clubs, coaches, managers, the players. But the, the, the coaches only want to have my knowledge around the throw-in, sorry, the long throw-in. So I was really frustrated about the situation. It was only until July 2018 where where Jurgen Klopp from Liverpool FC called me directly. And yeah, since then, uh, everything has exploded. It's gone from from pretty successful to, yeah, uh, you know, me coaching all over the world now and, and uh, a lot of people want my knowledge. So, um, so I have been frustrated at times as a throwing coach, but that was mostly because they only want the long throw-in. So, and I think that's a little bit sad if clubs only want the long throw-ins, well, because to be honest, it's only like 10% of all clubs who can really use long throw-ins because they are big and strong and and tall players. But the long, fast, clever throw-in philosophy can be used um, used by every every team in the world. For example, Liverpool and Ajax in 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 in. In these two clubs, we're not doing any long throwing towards the opponent's goal. So, but again, it's uh, everything changed in July 2018, and of course, I'm I'm totally happy about that. Yeah, it's it's, it's been a phenomenal rise for you, most definitely. Um, I briefly mentioned in the intro that you you held the world record for the longest football throw for almost 10 years. What's what's the story behind this record-breaking attempt? And and also, do you think? Has it helped you in pursuing your career as a throwing coach, perhaps giving you additional credibility? Yeah, it, it's it's been meaning a lot for my throwing coaching career, because you know now now you are we're having a podcast here today, but I can say just the last month I've been having fifty-seven podcasts, webinars, live appearances online here. So uh, in a month's time, so and, and it's all over the world. So the interest is, is really big. And of course, there's interest because I'm a throwing coach, the only one in the world. There's interest because I'm coaching Liverpool especially, but also Ajax, Kent and the other big clubs. And then there are interest because my, you can say, weird background with bobsleighing and so. And then, of course, on, on top of that, um, having a world record or official Guinness world record also helps so it's it's been been uh, you know helping me a lot with with the branding thing of it so so i'm really happy that i set the world record and i think what was a little bit special is that sometimes we see people who are the world best or 
some of the world best, then, then they are changing to coaching, then they want to help people. For me, it was opposite. In 2008, I've been a throwing coach for four years, and I thought, hey, it could be not only a, a big personal achievement, but also good for my throwing coaching company if I had the world's longest throw-in too. So that was the reason why I started it. The challenge was that even though I could throw very far, like 40, 42 meters, that's very far compared to normal football players, the world record at that time was 48.17 set by Mike Lochner in this, from the States in 1998 to so 10 years old. My challenge was that I couldn't improve six meters with, with a normal run-in. So I had to, I decided to to try to beat the world record with a flip throw-in where you're taking a run-in, jumping down on the ball, making a flip, landing and then throwing the ball. But the challenge was that I'm I'm a non-gymnast, so and weighing approximately 100 kilos, so that was like really uphill, really really big challenge. Mm-hmm. But I got a lot of a lot of help from from three different gymnast coaches, and the last coach was the national gymnast coach uh, for Denmark. So really, uh, really uh, skillful people who helped me, and it meant that in in August 2018, I had a world record attempt in the national match between Denmark and Spain. It was a full national stadium. I didn't beat the world record there. In uh, October 2009, I had a world record attempt in, in the match between Hertha Berlin and Wolfsburg at the, at the Olympic Stadium in Berlin with uh, 40,000 spectators. Uh, I didn't beat the world record there because it was raining and I had to make a run in on the athletics track. That's really slippery. But then in 2010, uh, I set a, an official Guinness World Record of 51.33 meters. And of course, it's meant a lot to me with, you know, both for me personally, but not, yeah, also also on my personal brand too and my, my throwing coaching company. So um, I'm really happy about that world record. Yeah, that, that must have been an, an incredible feeling to get your name in the record books. I'd say for everyone that's listening now, definitely go and find that footage online and watch it. The um, the flip technique to achieve, it's quite remarkable, really. And clearly it takes a lot of skill and practice. Obviously, it went very well for you when you broke the record. Has it ever not gone quite to plan on other attempts? I know if I tried it, I'd probably end up in hospital. Yeah, first of all, in training, it's <clears throat> it's really hard because... I've been getting a lot of injuries. So it's really important for me to say now to the listeners here that unless you can do a flip or you are unless you are a real gymnast, I'll say that instead. Don't 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 do anything about about the flip throwing because it's really dangerous. But I've been I've been uh, have different uh, injuries, but I'll say still I had only a few injuries because often I was taking the running on grass and then landing in a like in a long jump pit with sand. So of course it helps a lot when you're doing learning the technique that even though you're landing uh, on your hip or on your back it doesn't hurt hurt so much as if you're landing on grass so and then but i'll say one i had one occasion 14 days before i set the world record where it was actually the same place in in horsens denmark where i set the world record later um it was a girls football camp with 250 participants i should I was going to throw uh, at five o'clock, and I was in super, super shape. Almost had had almost beaten the world record a, a, a few, few uh, uh, weeks earlier. So I was super, super shape, and I was just ready to beat that world record. But then suddenly, five minutes before five, it there was like a gigantic black cloud, and then suddenly it started raining. 
and everything was wet and I, of course i had a towel and so but it, it there was so much rain of course i thought about canceling everything but then i just said hey man come on you can do it and then i took my run in uh, of course i tried the ball before but i took the run in full speed jumped down on the ball and just when i jumped down on the ball my hand slipped because i it, it was totally with the ball and then i just like i was just landing flying directly forward so uh, you can actually also see that on my youtube channel somewhere so <laughs> so and then after that i said okay that's that's it for today and luckily enough i i, I beat the world record 14 days later so so again i'll say flip throw-ins can be dangerous only do it if you're a gymnast and i'll also say if you're a normal football player don't try to learn it uh, it's actually much better to make a uh, throw-in with a normal run-in. I know that, that flip throw-ins are entertaining, but um, yeah. But but again, it was a fantastic thing for me personally and, and for my throwing company. Yeah, I think the message there is leave it to the experts, but luckily in your case, practice made perfect. Um, okay, I wanna move on to your philosophy. You've you've mentioned it already, The um, your self-titled long, fast and clever throw-ins. Could you give us a bit more of an outline on each of these individually and why you think every club should employ a throwing coach? Yeah, first of all, I'll, I'll start by saying that the why. Why should they employ a throwing coach? Every club should do that. I know I'm the only one in the world, but at least they, they can buy my book when it's <laughs> published in the future mm -hmm. or, or buy an online course. But the reason why they have to do anything about the throwing coaching or throw-ins is because there are normally between 40 and 60 throw-ins in a match. So it's some people think it's a marginal gain, a small gain, a little thing. No, it's actually a gigantic thing in football. But there are not a lot of people who are re realizing that. Then the second thing is that most, most teams, when they have a throw-in under pressure, where the players are marked, then they are having possession under 50% of the, the, the occasions. And if you had the same uh, possession or percentage with your feet, then you will not be playing professional football. You'll be playing Sunday league football. So it's just so important for every team. And and before before I uh, came to Liverpool in the 17-18 season, Liverpool were only number 18 out of 20 in the Premier League with a possession of 45.4%, uh, third last in the Premier League. But in my first season, 18-19 season, we, we improved to 68.4% and went from, from number 18 in the Premier League to number one. Uh, we, also, we also went to number two in Europe just after one of my other teams, FC Midtjylland from Denmark. So you can really improve your throw-ins with the right knowledge and the right training. Also this season, 19 season, we scored in Liverpool FC 13 goals after throw-in situations uh, all over the pitch. So uh, And we're not doing any long throw-ins to, uh, towards the opponent's goal. So, so throw-ins are really important. You can really improve them. But, but again, back to the long fast and clever throwing philosophy long throw-ins here i'm coaching the players in throwing longer i'm using approximately 30 different technical parameters i'm using video analysis and most players are improving between five and ten meters some up to 15 meters and it's only technical training it's no weight training why should the players uh, have longer throw-ins Yes, of course, in a few clubs, they can use it as a set-piece weapon. But but in all the other clubs, it's also really important because the longer throw-in you have, the greater throw-in area you'll have to. And it means that uh, you can throw 
to many more teammates if you can throw longer and have a greater throw throw in area but it also means that it's much harder for the opponents to put you under pressure so um it's really important to improve your throw-ins um, then we have the fast throw-in and that's both how we are marking the opponents fast when they have a throw-in with body language communication signals and so on and so on but also how we pressure and so uh, the next thing about fast throw-ins that's can we throw the ball fast? That's a really good option sometimes. But sometimes it's also really bad to throw fast if you're throwing it into a pressure zone. So I'm learning the players when to throw fast and when to have patience with different drills and exercise. And then the last thing about the fast throw-ins, that's counter-attack throw-ins. You can't be offside on the throw-ins. So it can not every time, but sometimes give you an opportunity with the right running patterns and everything. And then the final thing with the long, fast and clever throw-in philosophy, that's the clever throw-ins. And here I'm working with three different zones on the pitch at your own penalty area, the middle, the attacking zone. And um, I'm also working with 40 to 50 different throw-in tools. And, and it's not like a, a playbook in American football where where you're we're just saying, oh, we have to do this exactly. No, I'm, I'm uh, improving the players throwing intelligence so they can take their own smart decisions. So in every zone we have like like 12, 15 different options or tools. And, and then the players are deciding themselves by using their own imagination and fantasy and creativity. And then I'm also using individual throwing powers like players. Some players are good at protecting the ball. Some are good at doing a good first touch. Some are fast. Some are good at creating space for their teammates. So all in all, you can say that, for example, in Liverpool, we have millions of options. So when when I've, I've heard a lot of analysis people saying, OK, uh, if you do like Liverpool, this man runs there, this man runs there, this man runs there, then it, you'll have the same success as Liverpool. I think that's totally wrong because, first of all, we are not really setting, setting a place up like this. And the second thing is that if you're letting your football players try to do that, they don't have all the basics. And and I'm learning the Liverpool players and all my other players and, and teams, all the basic things first. So uh, And if they don't have the basic things, it, it might even make them them worse at throwing. So, um, so that was my long, fast and clever throwing philosophy. I think something that you, you talked over very quickly for how remarkable it is, is that you took Liverpool from 18th in the Premier League to the second best in Europe at retaining the ball under pressure from a throw-in, increasing their percentage by 23%. That is incredible, and you must be so proud of that because the team that you're behind is Michelin, who you work with as well. Yeah, uh, of course, I'm, I'm totally proud, but uh, I'm also really happy because it's important for me to say that, of course, I have my own data, Liverpool have their own data, the clubs I'm coaching, the other clubs, they have their own data, but these numbers here are from uh, an unattached company who are working with analysis and data and football called Tifu Football. So it's their da data. So that's also uh, the reason why I'm really proud, because if you're like showcasing your own your own data, of course, I think my my... My data are valid. Uh, I think they're uh, they're uh, <laughs> like bulletproof, or at least I can I can say they're okay. Um, but it's always better if there's other people who are who are highlighting the data. So so first of all, I'm happy that it's unattached data. And then the second thing is that 
throw-ins under pressure, so are, are, are you know, a little bit more complicated to, to measure and do statistics over because it's a little bit easier with how much how how much are you improving your long throwing, and it's also sometimes a little bit easier to see when are we scoring after long throwing. So I'm really happy with with these numbers. So um, and and I know that Liverpool they are pretty happy with them too. So I bet they are. One thing on the clever throwings, I suppose you you're mentioning people who look to analyze your work that don't actually really know what you've done beforehand. I suppose the clever throw-ins are a lot harder to identify for the casual viewer than long or fast. It's fairly obvious if someone's thrown it long or if someone's done it quickly, but they might not understand the ins and outs of the, the clever routine. I suppose many people that are unaware of your work will see Trent Alexander-Arnold with the ball in his hand waiting to take a throw-in, sometimes for quite a long time, and it can come across to people who don't understand that he doesn't seem to know what to do. And then you get the blokes down the pub saying, come on, Trent, hurry up, son, get it in there. But in reality, if you look more closely you and you look at his eye movements, you can see that he's scanning movements of other players and waiting for the right moment to play out a clever throwing sequence. Yeah, and that's totally right because you can say that if you have to have a, a, a few words like like saying what it's all about my throwing coaching, then it's it's to create space to either keep us keep possession or score goals and of course if if uh, it's the opponent to 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 give them as little space as possible so when you're seeing uh, Trent waiting sometimes he's throwing it fast but if you see him waiting it's because he's waiting for the right space to be created so um, so so it's it's not because he don't know what to do it's uh, and if he threw it three seconds earlier than people wanted him to, then it, we we might lose the ball. It's not like in 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 Liverpool and other teams when 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 they've been coached by me. It's like perfectionism. Then we're just keeping all possession, doing everything perfect. But again, um, yeah, you heard the numbers before that. If you can go from from uh, keeping f- four out of ten throw-ins under pressure to keep seven out of 10 throw-ins and you've reached a lot especially over a season and 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 in most games we are we are beating the opponents with 20 30 40 percent at throw-ins under pressure and for example some games is even more extreme for example in the first game against tottenham this season in the premier league we 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 had nine out of nine throw-ins under pressure so 100 percent it's happened like four or five times or so the two season up coast liverpool so it's really really not Often you see that normally we have between 65, 75, 82, like in these percentages. Um, but we had 100% possession against Tottenham, and but Tottenham had only four out of 16, so 25% possession. And it, it was because if if they couldn't throw it fast to a teammate that was free, then then they really didn't have any throwing strategy. Uh, and it was they were just many times just throwing the ball down the line. That's one of the worst things you can do, at least if it's not if you're not doing it with any strategy. And it's not only Tottenham. It's uh, in our first Champions League game against Bayern Munich last season, we had around 70%. That was okay for us throwing under pressure possession, but but Bayern Munich had uh, 28%. It was the same as Tottenham. If they couldn't throw it fast, uh, they really didn't have any any like like real strategy and and 
back to Bayern Munich. I saw what what was it uh, two days ago or so. I saw uh, Dortmund against Bayern Munich, and and it was so so clear for me to see that that the players didn't have the the basic understanding of what works when you have a throw in under pressure. They were putting putting each other under pressure situations not every time, but really many times where it was unnecessary. But I think it's a little bit like. It's the football culture for 140 years. People, there, there's been no one who's been going real deep into throw-ins, even though there are 40 to 60 in a match. So, so I'm, I'm, I'm the first one really to do it. I'm not saying I'm, I'm the first one to think about throw-ins, but I'm the first one ever to think about throw-ins every day, every hour, dreaming, dreaming about throw-ins. So, so I think my biggest not only dream but job or task in football is to change throw-ins. I want to change throw-ins from something you just have to do to a fantastic thing in football. Not only for the coaches and the players, but also for the fans. My biggest dream is that 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 a man sits in his couching a football game, then there is a throw-in, and then he's calling his mate or his wife and saying, uh, there's a throw-in, come in, because... It's a little bit like that in basketball, and I'm, I'll, I'll also say I'm using a lot of basketball in my training too. I've been playing a lot of street basketball myself. But in basketball, you know, we are really looking forward to also throw-ins because we, we know there is a space creation, and so there to to create space either for the for the point guard or for a three-point shooter. So that that could can be a highlight in basketball when when you're watching this, and, and I like to. That that throw-ins are the same, not only in pro football, but but um, but also in in amateur and youth football. And and the only way I can do that, of course, I can inspire on social media like now. But the only way I can really reach out to the whole world is is when I'm publishing my book about the long, fast, and clever throw-in. And and yeah, so I, I really look forward to that. One thing that's just sprung into my head there is that um, obviously you've worked with Liverpool, so you've worked with some of the uh, players there. But I remember Joe Gomez made a long throw for England during the Nations League win over Croatia, which led directly to a goal which won England the game. How does it feel to be influencing things on a national level and not just being the hero for a lot of or the the unsung hero for a lot of Liverpool fans, but also for national sides like England as well? Yeah, I'll first of all say that one of my big dream is to coach uh national teams especially if they're competing at the world cup that'll really be a big uh, dream come true for me and then back to to your example about joe gomez here it's really funny because uh it was november 2018 and of course i got a lot of support from liverpool fans already in the early stages but a lot of fans from competing teams especially the closest rival teams from liverpool to really make a lot of fun of me and that was okay I, it doesn't matter if you're the first one you have to <laughs> be prepared for criticism but the funny thing was when 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 joe gomez assisted that uh goal to 1-1 against croatia and it was a really important national match so um you know <laughs> i got a lot of support from from <laughs> from, from fans all over england and that was really good and uh, and uh and also, I also think that that Jurgen Klopp said on a press conference that England should pay uh, half of my salary. <laughs> it was, of course, a, a, a remark made made with a funny tone. But you know, um, of course, it, it it made me happy. So, um, but but 
of course, also on behalf of Joe Gomez too. And also, it's really important for me to say that long throw-ins are only a small, small part of my throwing coaching. And Joe Gomez is is so much more than a throw-in. He's one of the best central defenders in the world. So, and I think that his throw-ins is just like uh, an add-on. I'll, again, I'll say that, that that I consider the fast and clever throw-ins being much more important than the long throw-ins. But again, of course, it's always good to have that tool in your um, toolkit, especially if you're a fullback, that, that you have a greater throw-in area. And in some teams, it can be a fantastic weapon if you're a real set-piece team. So, um, But yes, it made me proud. You briefly mentioned uh, criticism there, and this is something that I was going to ask you, because as you're the only throwing coach in the world, I suppose it's inevitable along the way that certain members of the media or people online will mock and belittle the value of the work that you do. To me, these people are just demonstrating naivety and a lack of knowledge, and clearly they haven't bothered to look at the numbers before they start bashing the keyboard on Twitter. Is destructive criticism something that is hard to deal with? Do you disregard it, or is it something that actually motivates you further? No, I don't think destructive criticism is hard to deal with. I'm really really working with slicing up the critique criticism from 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 people and i think it's if it's unconstructive let's just say it's a it's a fan from a rival club who's saying something nasty about me and my <laughs> throwing coaching job i won't say it's okay because i think people should behave but it doesn't matter for me i i it doesn't you know have any effect on me also if people are criticizing me if they don't know anything about what they're talking about or if they're not curious um it doesn't really matter for me to uh, but but uh, it's really important for me to say that one of the most important things we have not only in football but also in life is, is criticism we we can really improve with criticism and i'm listening to a lot of criticism also sometimes from from players or coaches I'm coaching, but for me it's constructive criticism. And sometimes there is a there was a coach who said to me, "Okay, this exercise is really good, but I think it'd be even better if you you had two small goals in it, so it'd be even more motivating for the players." And then I thought, "Hey, why not?" So I took it to me, and then I, I've done it since. It's been fantastic. So fantastic here. Uh, there was also a time where I had a, a an exercise. In, in Liverpool and and then uh, I, I made the exercise like like directly into the pitch and then after a few minutes one of the players said to me hey I think it would be much better uh, if we had it in a 45 degree angle um, and then then I said oh uh, uh, it's it's meant to be this way this this this, uh, this drill and then he said oh, Baba, hey think about it because we we're normally doing it in this angle and then I say oh well, let me think about it. Okay, you're right. I said, yeah, I can see you're totally right. And and then I changed uh, changed the drill, and it was it was uh, better than. So that's that's fantastic criticism. I also love when when it's okay for me that people don't have the knowledge, especially when you're coming from an area where uh, very few people know anything about it. It's it's no problem that people don't have any knowledge about throwing coaching or throwings. But if they're asking. If they're asking me, can can you tell me what's about? Then I'll gladly tell about it. Uh, it doesn't matter who uh, who it is I'm talking with. So, so I think criticism is is really important, not only in football, in life in general. But but you just have to slice it up. So um, 
I don't care about the people who are who are critical about me just to be critical or or to it's also important there are also some people who are branding themselves by being really critical about other people and but but if they don't have you know real arguments if they're just talking loud or shouting uh then it doesn't matter for me so um so i'm i'm pretty fine with criticism sometimes it's it's, it's the best in the world and sometimes it, it 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 don't bother me so yeah i think well that that definitely seems to be the best way to deal with it especially when you've got the numbers to back it up as well and somehow uh i doubt that the people spending their time mocking have been part of a champions league winning team uh <laughs> i, I want to get onto that you you've um you've worked for multiple top clubs around the world but the one that's clearly going to stand out for obvious reasons is Liverpool and I'm sure a lot of the listeners will want to know more about them specifically. How did Jurgen Klopp become aware of your work in the first place and what's the story of him contacting you for the first time? Yeah, it was actually, I, th I think then that a lot of the listeners can relate to this but sometimes we are doing uh, small things or taking small decisions that have a big or great effect on our in our life um, and if we're looking at it in retro perspective then we think oh that was fantastic we did that but uh, I'll take it back to June 2018 uh, for many years I've been coaching FC Midtjylland and I had a guy called Andreas Paulsen a young player at that time he was 18 years old he's been improving his throwing from 24.25 meters to 37.90 so almost 14 meters 30 meters and 65 only with technical training in june 2018 he was sold to berusman and gladbach for around yeah i think it was around three million pounds or so so pretty much for for a danish teenager um i was really proud not only with his improvement with the throw-ins but especially that he was sold to a big club like berusman and gladbach so I tweeted something like, uh, congratulations to Andreas Paulsen, who've, uh, who's been sold to Borussia Mönchengladbach. He's, he improved his throwing with 30 meters and 65 or something like that. And then I made a hashtag Borussia Mönchengladbach or something like that. And then there was a local, small local fan media uh, in the Borussia Glad Mönchengladbach area who contacted me and wanted to make a, an article about me. And I said yes, because... If I can feel the passion uh, from people, it doesn't matter uh, how big media it is. So I said yes, they wrote an article. And this article, there was a, a journalist from the German newspaper, Bild, who, who read that. And this journalist contacted me and asked, hey, can we write a, an article in, in, in Bild? And I said yes. And they wrote an article and Bild is... If you don't know that gigantic newspaper in in Germany with with many million readers every day, so and and it was exactly this article that both uh, Jurgen Klopp but also Ralf Rangnick from uh, RB Leipzig have been reading. But it was we are going forward to early July 2018, few days after the article, and um, I was on a summer trip with my family. I just have to check my phone before we went into that chocolate shop. And uh, and there was a plus 44 number has been calling. And, and yeah, it might as well have been a, been a salesman from England. So I just listened to the voicemail. And then it was Jürgen Klopp from Liverpool FC. And 
if I hadn't been sitting in the car seat, uh, yeah, I think I've been falling over because I was totally shocked. <laughs> even even though I had been dreaming about coaching in the Premier League uh, in my life, and especially a top team like Liverpool, um, <laughs> I was totally in shock. I tried to call Jurgen Klopp, but he didn't answer. So after we had been into the chocolate shop, I, I thought, hey, might as well drive home to myself and take the perhaps most important call in my life in, in quiet surroundings. So I was driving the car, my wife was sitting beside me, uh, the kids in the back, and then suddenly the phone rang and my wife picked the phone up and she said, it's Jürgen. <laughs> and then I just took the car and drove directly to the right into a grass field. And <laughs> I, I, I took I took the phone in the middle of the country there and, um, and it was Jürgen Klopp and he said to me, Hello, Thomas. Um, we had a fantastic season in the 2017-18 season with a with a fourth place in the Premier League and Champions League final. But we were so bad at the throw-ins. We lost the ball almost every time. I tried to do something about it. Um, we tried to do something about it, but but it didn't work. So he had been reading that article about me in in, in Built, and he invited me to a meeting uh, at Melwood, Liverpool's training ground, the, the week after. And it should only have been a meeting, but Jung Club was so convinced about my uh, throwing knowledge and qualities that already the day after I had the chance to coach 21 players from the Premier League team, all the players who weren't injured or at vacation after the World Cup. So, and already uh, a few days after the first training session, I signed a contract with um, with Liverpool FC, and and now I've yeah I've been working for Liverpool FC the the last two full seasons. So, uh, and uh, I think we have had uh, two okay seasons. Uh, so, uh, <laughs> not bad, so, uh, not bad yeah. at all. Yeah, that that is. An incredible story. C- certainly one of the more successful trips to a chocolate shop that I've heard of. Yeah. Um, and also going back to what you said at, at the start, it, it demonstrates the power of social media and the use of hashtags. The opportunities are there. And if you're proactive and you do stuff like you did, things happen. Yeah. Um, I want to know, what's what's the working environment like at Liverpool? Is there anything that particularly stands out that you can correlate with the success that they've had, be it Jurgen Klopp, his relationship with the players, or just the general atmosphere. First of all, I'll say that um, I can. Say, I think I can say a lot. I think I could even write a book about it. And the reason why I can that is because I think that I'm, I'm also like, kind of a specialist in the work environment because I've been been doing over 500 talks for companies here in Denmark about work joy, motivation. Uh, work culture and so also been writing a, a bestseller book in Denmark called Lazy Energy with the seven lazy principles. So it's a, it's a, like a book for companies. Um, so I think I know a bit about work joy and, and work culture. And I'll say what's really fantastic about working in, in uh, Liverpool is that it's really about not, it's not about I, it's about we. And that's also the same in uh, in the team and when we're training, but also if you're looking at, at um, you know, the, the, the how we can share knowledge to each other. It's not about I, I have to be good. So it, it's how, how can we be good? So people are really willing to share knowledge between each other. And it's not only internal in different um, chapters of Liverpool FC. No, 
uh, you know, when I'm working in Liverpool, I'm talking with, of course, the managers, uh, like the manager, Jürgen, but also the other coaches, the physical staff, um, the analysis people, the people who are doing nutrition and so. So people are really willing to share knowledge between each other. I think that's one of the most important success factors, not only in football clubs, but also in companies. I also think that it's fantastic to work in Liverpool. People are really kind. People... Um, you know, are really open-minded, want to listen to you, who are you, uh, want to learn you, want to know you as a person too. And one of the things we know from research is that the best teams, that not, that's not the teams where we have the best or, and more, uh, most clever people or most ambitious people. It's actually the teams, the best teams that, that where we have the closest work relations because the, the closer work relation we have, the more we, we can trust each other and and the more we tr trust each other the easier it is to to help each other and share knowledge and other things so so that's also a thing in 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 liverpool fc and then i'll also say that in liverpool i think there's almost a perfect balance between really having fun having a good time and then being 100 percent serious and i think it's really important to try to find a balance between because of course if you are having fun all the time it, you'll never get top wrestles and and if you are too serious people are getting anxious and and stiff and afraid of making mistakes and so so can you find a balance not only in the football club but also um in a in a normal company or in your family or something like that it, it's it's uh it's really good and I've, i really feel that that balance is really good in in liverpool fc so um yeah a lot of positive to to say about liverpool and i think that's these things i mentioned here of course, there are world-class players, of course. But the funny thing about Liverpool FC is that, that most of the players in Liverpool FC, that they haven't been world-class before they came to Liverpool FC. So, so I got the feeling that, that most players have improved 10 20% or even more after arriving in Liverpool FC. So, um, so I think, it, it's of course, it's because of... The fast, fantastic work from Jurgen Klopp and the other coaches too, and but it's also a lot to do with with the work environment and the club culture, and so so yeah. That's really interesting to hear because something as an analyst myself, um, a principle that I follow is that you're only as good as your relationship with the coach. So it's interesting that that is something that seems to apply to the top end as well. Which um, players at Liverpool? You mentioned improvement there. Which players do you think? have improved the most since you started working for them and who now has the longest throw oh with the longest throwing that that's that's no doubt it's joe gomez he's been throwing 37.20 in a test and that's approximately the penalty spot in the air and in the test itself it landed around the last post on the ground so so of course it's it's he can throw very far and we also saw that it was a very long throw in against croatia and if people haven't seen it then go see the on on youtube and and it's not only long he's throwing but it's also hard and flat and that's really important if you want to have a dangerous long throw in but if i have to say the best throw in of course, you can measure the long throw-in, but for me, the fast and clever throw-ins are much more important. And and I'll just really uh, want to highlight and raise up um, Andy Robertson and Trent because they're really, for me, they're the best two fullbacks in the world with the fast and clever throw-ins because they're they're fantastic at 
being precise with the throw-ins, knowing when to throw fast, knowing when to have patience, seeing space created all around the pitch with our different tools. And so so they're really like, for me, they're, they're really world-class both. So, uh, and I think they're, they're the best pair uh, in the world at the moment. And, uh, and I also think that, I don't know, I'm really subjective now because I'm coaching them myself, but I also think that Liverpool is the best throw-in team in the world at the moment. So... Um, but let's see what happens in the future. Are there specific throw-in routines for different opponents, dependent on how they set up? For example, are other throw-ins that are encouraged to be used different when playing the likes of Man United and Man City compared to the likes of, say, Newcastle or Aston Villa, with respect? No, not, not so much. Uh, a few times there can be some specific things. But, you know, um, what I'm doing with the team is is, is giving them a, a, a better or bigger throw-in intelligence. And it means that that if you have a really high throw-in intelligence, uh, you, can, you can take care of different situations. Sometimes the opponents are doing man-man marking. Sometimes they are doing sonal. Sometimes they can try to do a sandwich or something else. And, and of course, there are positives uh, for the opponents by doing this, but you also know that that there was always a weakness to this kind of of, of uh, marking, and it's the same when we are marking ourselves. So I'm just making the players aware of if the opponents are doing like this, then we we can unlock three or four other uh, situations. So 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 that's the advantage with uh, doing throwing coaching as I'm doing and not doing it as an American football playbook is that if, let's say, we have a, a, a throw-in in, in the middle of the pitch and we are trying to create space in, in, in the near areas to the thrower, but if the opponents are either covering that space in some way or we can't really create space there ourselves, then we know that we have three, four, five, six, seven other options uh, in, in this zone we can take instead. So... And that makes it, in my opinion, much more dangerous than if you are taking the, the playbook approach. Because if you've been read there with your playbook, then it's you can't really do anything else. So for me, it's much more important to uh, to um, have a high throwing uh, intelligence. And of course, for me, it's 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 more complicated and more important if, if, when we have a throw in ourselves. But as, of course, you should all also have a a high throwing intelligence when you are marking the opponent's throwing. And for example, as I mentioned a little bit earlier, we scored, we have scored 13 goals after throwing situations this season until now with Liverpool FC all over the pitch. And three of the 13 goals are when the opponents have having a, a throw-in and then we took the ball with different kinds of marking and different types of pressure. And so, so, um, so, so, so I think it's of course back to your question again. Of course, sometimes in a few occasions that we we can prepare specifically, uh, but I'm more concentrating on oh specifically on the opponent. But I'm more concentrating on on our own uh, attacking throw-ins and our, and how we we self can can defend the opponents when they have a throw-in. Yeah, and I, I suppose the. You mentioned the intelligence that will grow the more and more they practice and the more you coach them. Um, we've spoken a lot there about Liverpool, but you work for multiple clubs at the same time. How does a normal week or month play out for you in terms of coaching, travel and analysis? It can be really, really different. But, you know, a, a normal week, let's just say, let's say I'm only in one club in a week. 
I'm going to Liverpool FC. Um, then I'm perhaps traveling on Sunday, and then I'm coaching uh, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and then I'm going back Thursday. Uh, some people think that my throwing coaching is, is a little bit like the other set piece coaching that you're doing it Friday before the match Saturday. No, you can say that my throwing coaching is often in the start of the week or in the middle of the week because it's it's really much like normal football training because in most of my drills the players are also passing with their feet they're also shooting on a goal or defending or something else and it means that it's really easy to implement in, in the normal training um, and and normally i'm coaching between 20 minutes and 45 minutes per session so you can do a lot of other things um when i'm coaching in the session it's not only throw-ins when i'm there then most of, of course, sometimes I'm doing specific things with the fullbacks, technical things or so. But most of the time, again, I'm coaching all the players. For example, uh, four versus four um, and a throw or a secret throw. And then I take them 20 minutes and then um, I'm having uh, nine other players after that. It could also be a five versus five interval game on a narrow pitch with big goals and goalkeepers where we are doing the basic throwing things, but also the 40-50 throwing tools. And then after two minutes, we're shifting two times five new players. So all in all, 22 players. It could also be 11 versus 11 um, on a big pitch with full match intensity. Then we are taking five throw-ins in each zone, so 15 in all. Then we're playing the situation out. So um, so that th that's the way it could, could look like in a normal week. And then you can say, I have this season or in here in 1920 season i've been i think i've been traveling yeah half half the season like i don't know 25 weeks or so uh around the world and and some periods are really intensive and, and some a little bit less intensive it's like a it's like a coincidence how much intensity there is in my my traveling schedule because i'm coaching from july and then until normally april or so um so almost the whole year but for example i had um i had a pretty busy january and first half of february going with first in january qatar with ajax training camp then i went directly from qatar to oliva in spain uh, with Ghent from belgium in training camp too then i was a little bit home then I went to a German club and then directly from Germany to Florida training camp with Atlanta United. And then I came home again a few days and then uh, I went to Amsterdam with Ajax. And then the week after uh, Liverpool uh, with Liverpool FC. So that was, of course, intense. I think I was home like, I don't know, 12 days or so in one and a half months. So, of course, that was really busy especially when you have a family like me wife and two kids so and then in other periods i'm perhaps only having you know in one month i could perhaps only also have two clubs and then it's i'm away two times four days so it's really depending on yeah yeah coincidences just how my schedule is there there's i'm traveling a lot in a, in a 10 month period normally so yeah yeah, well, you've worked in various countries, leagues and cultures. And I suppose naturally that brings a lot of travel, especially when you get training camps in the mix as well, when they go to all sorts of places. And I suppose there's an element of fun to the travel as well. I mean, I know you're working, but it's nice to go and see places. I want to look to the 
the future for you now. Are there any leagues or countries that you'd particularly like to work in in the future, or are you just going to see how things go? No, I'd just like to work in uh, in any country in the world because I love to travel. Uh, I, I think that life is a buffet, and you just have to take everything you can. So when I'm when I'm traveling, no matter no matter if it's Liverpool or Florida or Qatar, or I just try to see so much as possible. And it doesn't matter if it's architecture, nature, um, art, uh, you know, the city itself. Of course, I'm using a lot uh, some time on on preparing my training, video analysis, and so. Of course, but but I really I just want to <laughs> experience so much as possible. So I'm. Um, I'm really open-minded for for every club in the world. Uh, the last month, I've been talking with people from Nepal, Vietnam, whole Europe, uh, Tunisia, Na- Nigeria, Brazil, Canada, the States, uh, and they're really interested in in my knowledge. So, so for me, it's of course it's totally cool to to work together with a club and be Champions League winners in Europe. But for me, it's also an adventure to go to Australia or or have many other MLS clubs in the States or, or go to, let's say, uh, uh, Vietnam or something like that. So I hope I can, can inspire not only the biggest pro clubs in the future, but also smaller clubs, but also amateurs and youth clubs so not only with my coming book and my online courses but but often i'm also coaching uh youth and amateur clubs and and some people might think hey how can we afford it oh yeah so perhaps a club is just collecting all the coaches and players and then we're doing something together then it's more affordable or if there are perhaps four or three clubs in a city then they're going together and we are making a big course for for uh, for all the coaches and having some players and i'm doing a talk around uh, throwing coaching or my journey uh, of being a throwing coach so so i think that that yeah my biggest dream is just to be traveling the world and and inspire people to make better throwings that's yeah that's what i'm dreaming of well that's a fantastic motto to have you said there something that's come to mind for me you said that you were open-minded to every club in the world um i'm a season ticket holder with cardiff city in the championship and cardiff are a very set piece focused side and have a few players capable of long throws and i'm sure you'd be uh, you'd be welcome with open arms if you fancied a switch to south wales instead of the likes of qatar and vietnam <laughs> Yeah, I'll be I'll be totally totally happy with this. Uh, I've never been to to Wales before. I've been, of course, uh, many times in London. I've been many times in Liverpool. Had one visit to uh, to to Sheffield uh, when there was this Euro '96. Um, but I have never been to Wales before, and I've been seeing seeing Wales a lot of times in the television. Uh, in programs and uh, that's that's one of the the places in the world uh, that I really want to visit so if there there is a club from uh, from Wales who want to get a visit from me or hire me then I'm really open-minded and I also say that even though even though uh, I think that most of the clubs will will really uh, use the fast and clever throw-ins of course you can really be success with the long throw-ins too not this season, but the last four seasons, uh, FC Midtjylland, one of my clubs from Denmark, they scored 35 goals after long throw-ins. So, so eight, nine goals 
long throwing goals per season. So so you can really have success with long throwings. I just wanted the passion. So so if there are any clubs from Wales, then uh, then I'm listening. Well, I I work for one. Um, I the team I work for, Cardiff Met University in the Welsh Premier League. I'm sure if there's <laughs> there's some potential there. If you preferred the the idea of being involved in a battle for a Europa League spot with the best university team in the UK. Anyway, we won't get too bogged into that now. Yeah. Um, you've mentioned you've mentioned your book that's in the works, and any idea as to when this is going to be available and what kind of, without being giving too much away, what kind of secrets we can expect to look forward to if we read it? Yeah, first of all, I don't really know. It could be uh, out <clears throat> in a year, but it could also be a little bit longer. The reason why I don't know it yet is because when I'm working with the clubs, it's really intensive also with the time. And and I've been, as I mentioned before, I have I've been writing a book, a bestseller book in Denmark before, not about throw-ins, but about work joy, work culture. And and a book is, is a big project and, and you can easily get, you know, uh, you can easily use six months more suddenly. So I won't disappoint people by saying, but... I, I guess between one and two years, then it's ready. But you can you can go into my webpage, thomasgronemark.com, and of course read about it, what, what's in it. But but what will be in it is, is to ver- first of all, of course, my background and so, but you can hear about that a lot of places. But but they'll, it'll be divided in, in first of all, the, the, the long, fast and clever throwing, what's really important to, to coach when you want to use these three uh, parts of the philosophy effective. So there will, of course, be explanation around it, but also drills. And it's also really important for me to say that that when I'm saying 40 to 50 tools, I don't expect youth teams, amateur teams to, to use all of them. So, of, of course, there'll be like, it'll be built up so, so both uh, youth, amateur and pro coaches can use it. So there'll be a lot of drills about the long, fast and clever throwing. And there'll also be drills who are directly, um, you know, uh, angle into the three zones on the pitch, your own penalty area in the middle and then the attacking third. There'll also be some drills there. So it'll be be easy to use. Of course, uh, on, on the side of my book, there'll also be online courses too, where you can see also on film the actual... Um, actual drills themselves and the reason why i have both is because some people just like to read and other people like to learn via video so that's what you can expect in the future from a throw-in book about the long fast and clever throw-ins and and of course people can just follow it but they can also sign up on my uh, on my home page there and there'll of course be extra good offers for people who do that so and 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 you can also find me on on social media like linkedin twitter instagram i also have a youtube channel just search my name then you'll find me well i look forward to it greatly i'll, I'll definitely be the first one to pre-order um <laughs> one last question for you um what advice would you give to someone like myself within the football industry looking to achieve ambitious goals in their life such as working for a club like Liverpool I say one a lot of people are asking me that how can I as head coach assistant coach uh, physical coach physiotherapist analysis guy or girl 
make the big jump. And I, one of, of course, you have to be good at what you're doing. So of course, you have to do all the basic things. But what I really advise people to do is is go really, really deep into a special area. Let's just say you are you have ambitions as an assistant coach. So of course, you have to take your courses. Of course, you have to be more clever. But let's just say you have a, an interest in relation building. And you're just going really, really deep in relation building. How can you build relations between your players, you and your players? How can you, and perhaps you'll even make your own philosophy. Like I've been making my throw-in philosophy. You're going to courses, not only in football, but also outside of the football. And then suddenly after three years, it's... Um, then you are also an expert in relations between football players. And so, and then suddenly when, when a club has to decide, should I take John or should I take Peter? Then you'll, you'll pick Peter because he, oh, it's really interesting what he's doing with, with personal relations. So, so I think you have to do two things, of course, still like coaches have always done, really, really do all the basic things and be the best you can on the basic stuff. And then take one speciality. And of course, it's really hard to say what, what, what can give you an advantage. So it could also, as an assistant coach, it could also be um, I'm really fantastic at, at uh, doing uh, analysis. I'm really fantastic at, at set pieces. But I'll also say, can you, make, can you make that little different thing? Because uh, you might know yourself as analysis guy that, that now <laughs> I think there are, I don't know, 10,000 analysis people now. It's like it, they're like storming <laughs> forward now. And they're also like all assistant coaches are also interested in set pieces. And so, but can you have your little speciality that makes you stand out? Then I think uh, it can be an advantage. I have my speciality that's throwing coaching. I know it's, uh, you can't really compare me to other uh, football coaches because I'm not a football coach. <laughs> I'm I'm interested in throw-ins. Of course, been playing football myself, and also had that advantage that from 2004 until until Jurgen Klopp uh, called me, like 14 years after, I've been sitting. Of course, been working a lot with the long throw-ins, but with the fast and clever throw-ins, I've been sitting in my my cave and studying and analyzing. So I have this gigantic knowledge. That's also the reason why. You know, I'm so far ahead of other people with throw-ins because other people really don't know so much and I know just really much. So again, go really, really deep in into a speciality area and can you find one that's not really, you know, uh, been going deep into by other coaches or analysis people, then then it can give you an advantage. Yeah, that's that's fantastic advice. Find your niche and become the best. Thanks a lot for that. Just to finish off, I'd like to say that I've been an admirer of your work ever since I first became aware of it. And hopefully now the listeners will be more knowledgeable and appreciate the work that you do. You've given us a fantastic insight into life as a throwing coach and working amongst top clubs around the world. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast today, Thomas, and I wish you all the best for your future endeavors. You're absolutely welcome, Nick.